My name is Jim Sparks. I was the lead pastor at North Avenue Church from 1996 to 2013. In 2003, we built the, now the new wing of the building with the, the multi-purpose room and the kitchen, the conference room and classrooms, and we remodeled the rest of the building. It was two and a half million dollars round numbers. It was, seemed insurmountable at the time. By the time I left, 10 years later, the cost was down to under a million. And now it's down even further. One of the things that's really important for a church to do is always look to the future. People often say, well, when we get that done, you're just gonna tell us to do something else. Well, yeah, because there's always the future ahead of us. There's so often that we live in a time when people my age and even younger talk about the good old days. <laughs> there was very little good about those old days. So I want them to stop thinking about nostalgia and start thinking about futalgia. Think about the future, long for what the future could hold. And I believe that if the future were debt free, this church would be able to do so many more things to reach out and change lives of people in this community. I think it's really important to pay off debt and get rid of interest payments and all of that. I can give you all kinds of economic reasons why that has value. But I think the emotional and spiritual reasons are more important to free up that money to do real ministry and to change people's lives. So as they come and ask and as you have the opportunity to pray and think about this, think not just about the cost of the money, but think about the future and the lives that can be changed. God bless you. notice it first time around, but Pastor Sparks invented a new word. Futalgia. Say it with me. Futalgia. It's fun to say. Nostalgia. Futalgia. I don't even think that's a word. I really don't. I'm, somebody look it up. Let me know later if that's actually a word. Appreciate Pastor Sparks being willing to share that. What a great guy. Uh, for those of you that don't know him, he was here for, I think it was 17 years before I came and kind of handed the baton off to me and has done everything in his power since the day I moved here to make um, this ministry easier and better for me to try to help us grow and go forward. And I appreciate so much his influence over the years and all of the vision and foresight that the church had under his leadership to build what we have. Um, and again, those that, you know, think about, oh, we don't want to go any further than we are now. I want you to think about 10 years ago and which piece would you be willing to give up? At my last church, uh, at Floyd, we were looking at the purchase of some property. I know you don't care about history, but I just want to share this with you because I thought it was interesting and it was a good thought. We had, we had, I don't know how many acres, I think we had four or five acres that the church was sitting on and we had a playground, beautiful playground there. We had lots of level ground there, so we had this beautiful playground. We had open space that we could do things, nice big parking lot. We were right on the river, and so as people would uh, float down the river in the summer times, oftentimes when we were coming out of church, they were getting out of the river, which was fascinating because people wear weird things when they're floating down the river if you get my drift and so we had to make sure that the middle schoolers were boys at least were inside the church at that point but anyway um but it was it was just a cool place and um our setting on the river was beautiful and out of my office window I could look down the river it was great but before we purchased the property that was adjacent to that there was a, a family that lived right next door and they attended our church and they were elderly and they both had passed away and they, they, the family offered us the purchase of the property, and it wasn't cheap. It was, you know, they were looking for fair market value, which is absolutely fair to them. And, and so we were debating, can we afford it? We wanted to build a new building. 
and we knew that this would give us flexibility as to where we could build it. Um, and, and we, you know, so we were looking at this as a way to, to, we would have to delay the building process, but it would give us more options. And unbeknownst to us, interesting point, when we broke ground on the building where we were intending to build it all along after we purchased the property, we found out that there was an old brine well left over from Dow Chemical. And in order to build the building over that meant that if they ever had an issue with that brine well leaking, they would have to demolish whatever was on top of it and dig it up. And so they offered us money not to build the building there, but to put it somewhere else. And we ended up getting like 15 grand just to build the building on the other side where we made an alternate plan, which we would not have had room for had we not purchased the property. But in the midst of the discussion, it was hard for people to wrap their heads around, why do we need 11 more acres? And six of it isn't even really connected. It's just this thin piece that goes on the riverbank and is down in the muck, you know, down in this lowland somewhere. We're never going to be able to use it. But five acres was right up there by our property. And, and I, I looked at them and, and I had done some research and I found out um, that the property that we had, the four or five acres we already had, had been purchased in like four or five different pieces, and it had deeds. I had old deeds from each of those pieces. And I held them up and I said to them, of the property we have now, which piece do you think we don't need? Because back then, of course, it was the same discussion. Why would we ever need so much property? What would we ever put on that property? I said, look, the property we have is full. Which piece would we not need back then? You know? And so it was an interesting way to think about, we may not even know what God is going to do in the future, but if we prepare for the future, God can do so much more than we could ever dream or imagine. Do you believe that? And so I hope that you'll jump on board with this and that you will pray and ask God what you're able to give. We, we understand it's not equal giving, but we hope that it'll be equal sacrifice. So get yourselves prepared for that. We're looking forward to that. I might have just preached my sermon. I thought that was Pat sitting over there. Pat, where are you? Pat usually sits there. Second service. I might have just preached the sermon I was going to preach the week before, so you might have to take that one back over. But anyway, we have been talking about since um, early July... Um, this idea of real Christian community. And what we did, since, since there's only one more week, I figured this is a good time to stop and do a recap. So we're going to do a quick recap, and then I'll get into it, I promise. Um, next week will be the last sermon in this series, and we'll move forward. But we started out kind of laying some groundwork, and we talked about the fact that real Christian community is something that is based on Christ. It comes out of our relationship with Him, and really it flows from Him. Jesus is the source of any kind of Christian community that we as followers of him are a part of, that it, it all flows from him. And by having relationship with Jesus, we learn better how to have relationships with one another and really treating each other the way Jesus treated us is the best way possible to succeed as a fellowship, as a church, and as a Christian community. And so that was kind of where we started. The next week we talked about how Christian community is not some ideal that we create or that we think up. It didn't come from the imagination of men, but it is in fact a divine reality. In other words, it's something that existed long before you or I were even a part of it, and it continues to exist throughout the ages because Jesus is the one who founded it and there are other believers that are part of it and so it's like this grand river that flows past us into eternity and we just have to make the choice whether we're going to jump in or whether we're going to stay out. And so Christian community is not some idea that a pastor might imagine or a person might imagine. It isn't what you wish it could be. It is what Jesus defined it to be. And what it is, is a wonderful community where we all love each other like Jesus. And so that was the second week. The third week, we talked about how it's a spiritual reality and not a human reality. Once again, it's a spiritual reality in the sense that 
kingdom values, God's kingdom's values, and the fruits of the Spirit govern the way that we treat each other and not a, a human invention, which would mean that, that kind of the flesh is what defines how we treat each other. And I hope you can see that one is far better than the other. Well, then we jumped into these ministries that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote the book that inspired the series, kind of brings us to. And these are just suggestions of his of, of what things we can do for each other and with each other that will help us to find peace within this real Christian community. He talked first about holding our tongue, and, and that one inspired a lot of conversation. I had several people that week after we talked about not speaking so much or being more careful what you say who said, I wish I could not only hold my tongue but hold my fingers because, well, actually, it's more like this today, isn't it? Well, on social media, we have a tendency to type faster than we can think, and that's not a good thing. So holding our tongue is, is something valuable. We talked about meekness and, you know, as a part of humility and, and being, um, being like Christ in that sense. We talked about listening more and hearing what other people have to say. We talked about helpfulness and how as we help other people, we earn the right to be a part of their lives, and, and we um, convince them that what we're saying about them is true because we're willing to back it up with our words. Um, then last week we talked about bearing with one another, bearing one another, and bearing our freedoms as well as the abuse of that freedom, which we frequently, frequently call sin. And so today we're going to talk about proclaiming, proclaiming, the ministry of proclaiming. And again, all of these other things kind of are culminating in what we're going to talk about today. Now, when we think about proclaiming, some of you might immediately jump to the word proclamation, right? And a proclamation is something that if you're like me, you have a tendency to think of the movies because, you know, you only ever hear proclamations in like medieval movies where the king sends some guy in a funny hat with a trumpet and he goes down to the town square and, you know, the king's got something to say, so we're making a proclamation and he, you know, holds the scroll and it falls on the ground and rolls down the thing and then he reads it. Am I the only one that has an imagination like that? Probably. Anyway, when I think of proclamation, I think of an important message from an important person. That's kind of what a proclamation is. To proclaim something is simply to communicate it. Now, oftentimes in the church, when we think of proclaiming, we think that's something that the preacher does, or it's something that a teacher might do to a class. But what Bonhoeffer is referring to is not necessarily the proclamation that would happen as a pastor feeds his flock or, or a teacher teaches his students, but rather the free communication of the Word of God and the truth of the word of God to one another as believers. So if you yourselves were to speak to each other and, and declare some of the truths of God's word to each other, that would be what he's talking about is the ministry of proclamation, how it's important for us to speak truth to each other. So just so you can kind of get in the gist of this, let's do a little exercise. All right, I know some of you hate doing this, so if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. I'm just going to glare at you. I mean, that's all. I'm kidding. I won't glare at you. Okay, so do this for me. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is truth. I want you to just turn and say that to them. And then if you're only sitting by one person, say it back to them. God is truth. Okay, you have just made a proclamation. God is truth. From Scripture, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, you have just told someone else the truth of God's word, and you have made a proclamation congratulations. High five each other if you want to. You just did it. Exactly what Bonhoeffer was talking about. All right, one more. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Make a proclamation. I'm a sinner. 
Now, again, that just means you've messed up once in a while. Don't go into detail. Don't tell them why. You know, don't go into that right now. I'm a sinner. It's a biblical truth. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how good we think we are, at some point in our lives, we have failed God in some way. So you just made a proclamation to each other. Now, if I'm not mistaken, one of those two may have been easier to say to the other person than the other. Probably the God is truth one, right? Rather than admitting that you're a sinner to someone. Well, what if I'd have done something ridiculous like this? What if I had asked each and every one of you to tell the person next to you something about their life that you know isn't necessarily lining up with the biblical message and you need to just take a moment and give them some correction? What if I would have done that to you? Some of you are like, I don't know this person, so I'd have been in blank. Some of you are sitting by your spouse. Boy, that could get ugly really fast if we did that. But I would imagine that would make you very uncomfortable, wouldn't it? Because you see, some of the truths that we need to proclaim to each other as followers of Jesus, as part of a real Christian community, aren't always the easiest truths to share with each other or to hear from another person unless we know who they are and that they love us and that they care about us. You see, what Bonhoeffer is is saying when he talks about proclaiming to each other and proclaiming the truth to each other is that we need to share the whole counsel of God. We need to share everything about him, his commands, his kindness, and and at times his anger against sin Um, because God is both a loving God and a just God. He both cares about us and, and wants us to grow and wants us to prosper and wants us to do better and wants us to become like him. But he is just in the sense that he has commanded us, you must be holy as I am holy. And so if God is all of that, then the truth that we proclaim to each other, we need to be willing to share all of those things, whether it's the good or the bad, the encouragement or the correction. Do you you see where I'm going with this? This is what Bonhoeffer says. He said, we need to be able to witness to each other of all that God is from one believer to another, and that is essentially the ministry of proclamation, according to him. Uh, We might more simply describe this as, as Ephesians say, we're going to read in a minute, speaking the truth in love. That's what I would call it, because the truth is all about God's word. Jesus is the truth, and and the truth is Jesus. And so we would say that. This ministry, of course, is most effective, and, and, and I would say it's only effective when we as believers have spent some time doing some of these other ministries first. Because you know what? If we have to correct someone, we have to earn the right, in my opinion, to be heard, especially if we're giving correction. But imagine with me, if you will, that someone that you know in this fellowship or someone that you know who is a believer in Christ has spent adequate time executing the ministry of holding their tongue in your presence. In other words, you've unloaded on them multiple times and they have chosen instead of unloading on you back to just simply be still and smile and nod and hear what you have to say. Imagine that 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 person has spent time holding their tongue and listening to you. Imagine that you've seen them demonstrate meekness on your behalf where maybe they had authority they could have exercised over you but they chose not to do that they chose to kind of let you be imagine they've been helpful in some way that when you needed help they noticed and they pitched in and they spent their time and their effort doing something for you imagine that it's somebody that as we talked about last week is willing to bear with you whether it's your freedoms or your failures and they've stood beside you even when you did the wrong thing 
and bore the burden of your sin with you. Imagine that it's somebody that did all of that first. Wouldn't that be easier to hear correction from that person than it would be just anybody? And so Bonhoeffer says that as we do all of these ministries together, they all kind of wind in on each other and make each one even more effective and more possible. Friends, I believe that, that as we think about how to proclaim the truth to each other, there's a couple of questions that come up that we need to answer, and then one statement. So let me share with you the first of the two questions, and we'll do our best to get out of here on time, because I can smell the food too, okay? All right, first and foremost, when I'm talking to someone else, when I'm declaring a truth to someone else, do I even have the right to say anything to another person? Do I have the right you see, in today's world, I've noticed that one of the things that we love to do is be offended. <laughs> Isn't it fun to be offended? I kind of enjoy being offended. I didn't think I enjoyed it, but I kind of do. I had to be honest with myself. You know, when I get offended, I love to just pout around for a little bit. And I think America as a society, we love to be offended. But I think it's something we got to get over. It's a difficult world we're living in where anything that you say can and will be used against you, not by the police, but by every single person that knows you. Amen? Amen. I mean, I've got people that will walk up to me, well, that's not what you said on Facebook. <laughs> Stop checking my Facebook then. What I'm saying now matters more than then. I don't know what was happening back then. That was like 20 years ago. That's why Chris doesn't want her classes you know, to be out there for people to listen to again. Boy, it's just crazy. It's a crazy world we're living in. And there is a lot of offense out there. It is difficult. Do we even have the right to correct another person? Do I have the right to say to some of you as my congregation, hey, you're not flying down the right path. You're not moving in the right direction. You need to make some adjustments to where you're going. Do I have the right to say to you, hey, I saw what you did and that was encouraging to me and keep on going, keep on doing it. Or is that considered judgment? Because doesn't the Bible say we're not to judge? Do I have the right? to say anything at all that, that is truth to my neighbor. Because again, some truths are harder to hear than other truths are. Do I have the right? I'm sure that many of you have thought, and maybe even said out loud when confronted by someone else, what gives you the right to judge me? I know you, and you've done worse things than I have. Have you ever said that to anyone? What gives you the right to be my judge? Listen, if you're part of the community that, that follows Christ, then the scriptures not only give us the right, the scriptures say that it is our responsibility to speak truth to people. We don't just have a right to do it, we must do it. You see, that's the difference between rights and responsibility. If I have the right to do something, that means I can do it if I want to. But if I have a responsibility to do something, that means that I must do it. I have to do it. It's part of who I am. It's my responsibility. And I believe that Scripture tells us that we have a responsibility. Look at what Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. I, I love the fact that because Paul planted all these churches, he had to go back and write letters to all of them so that he could help them figure out their stuff. And it's obvious from Scripture that these people that Paul was writing to in Philippians and or Philippi and Ephesus and Galatia, that they all had issues with relationships because he writes a lot about that. But listen to what he says in Ephesians. He says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, there's that thing I said earlier, right? And that really is the sum total of proclaiming. That could be it right there. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, 
the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of life. I don't know about you, but that last statement is what I would love for people to say about our church, right? Healthy, growing, and full of life. Although right now I would settle for full of life. Looking out at your faces, healthy, growing, and full of life. Listen, Paul says essentially this, that we need to learn how to speak the truth in love. And by doing that, we grow up into all that Christ was, essentially. He's saying, listen, he's saying, be like Jesus. Talk like Jesus. Walk like Jesus. Be everything Jesus was. And the way that you accomplish that, the way that you begin that process, is you speak the truth in love instead of all of the other things that you could speak. And he talks about how that in and of itself and, and Christ's influence in our lives will help us to grow into a functioning body that will be efficient because each part is learning to do what it needs to do. How? Because we're communicating, we're talking, we're speaking truth, we're proclaiming the truth of God's word to one another so that if I'm in a place in the church that doesn't fit my talents and abilities and my wife has to come alongside me and say, hey Jeff, you're not gifted at that. You need to let somebody else do that. I don't have to take offense at that. I can say, listen, she must be saying that because she loves me and she cares about me and she's listened to me and she's bore with me and, and she has meekness in her life and I see the fruits of the Spirit. She must be saying that because it's true. Because, you know, there are things I'm not talented at. Whoa, revelation, right? And there's things that you aren't talented at. And sometimes the hardest thing to do in a church is say to somebody, that's not your gift. And just in case you're wondering, setting up and tearing down tables and chairs is everybody's spiritual gift. I'm just saying. I'm just going to get that right out of the way. Everybody's spiritual gift. Um, so is making pie. Um, that too. But you know, we each have our part to play. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. Or, or maybe it's not even that. Maybe we're just going in the wrong direction. Maybe I've made a mistake and I need to repent of that mistake because it's leading me to a place that leads to destruction. I need someone in the church to step forward and say, listen, I need to speak the truth of God into your life. I need to tell you this is wrong. Now again, Paul says to speak the truth in what? In what? I think we need to say that louder because that really is the key here. Because if we're going to speak the truth in love, then that means we need to earn the right to be heard by that person before we just blanket tell them what's wrong with them. And that's not what it's about. Speaking the truth in love is a huge deal. Paul says we have a responsibility to each other. Speaking the truth to each other is the only way that the whole body will ever fit together perfectly. Because you know what? Lies are the basis of division. And truth is the basis of unity. And our world doesn't necessarily believe that. I've heard many people say, mostly comedians, you can tell whose podcasts I listen to the most. I like to laugh when I'm just listening to things. But most people think that it's okay to lie about certain things, especially wives and husbands. You know, I've had husbands tell me, if I told my wife the truth to every question she ever asked me, I'd be divorced by now. That would certainly cause division. Well, to that I would say, I think you're wrong. Secondly, I would say to you wives who are asking difficult questions just to trap your husbands, knock it off. Stop it. You know you're, you're one above us. We know that, okay? It's all right. You don't have to catch us in anything, but... I firmly believe that even in the little things, if we learn how to tell the truth, we won't be sowing seeds of dissent that will eventually grow into something that we did not expect. 
And I know it's hard sometimes because, man, there are times I just want to not say the whole truth. Or there are things I just want, there's, maybe there's some part of the story I don't want people to know. And again, that doesn't mean that you have to volunteer the truth at every circumstance. But friends, be truthful. Because the truth is the essence of unity. But lies only lead to division. When we speak the truth in love, we are acting like Jesus and growing in every way more like him. And friends, that is the best way to find real Christian community. That was the first question. Do we have the right? No. We have a responsibility to speak and to proclaim truth into each other's lives. The second one is this. What is this based on? What is the basis of this responsibility? Pastor, why do we have to do this? Is it just because we're all part of the same club called the church? Is it just so we won't caught and cause problems in the church? That's not it at all. The basis of our ability to, to share openly and honestly the truth with each other is based on what Bonhoeffer calls the help that we both need. Think about that statement. He says it weird because, you know, he wrote a long time ago. But it's based on the help that we all, I'll say it that way, need. In other words, just like I might want to share um, truth with somebody else, I probably need that very same truth shared with me. Because just like somebody else that I know isn't perfect, I'm not perfect. We all need encouragement. We all also need correction. So regardless of what kind of truth we're sharing, whether it's truth that lifts us up and, and emboldens us or whether it's truth that, that, that kind of pulls us back on the right path, we all need all of that. Every single person here at some point or another in your life needs to be encouraged but also corrected. And when we learn how to receive that correction or that encouragement, it teaches us how to better give that encouragement and or correction, right? When we receive it, we learn how to give it. And so the basis of this relationship is the fact that we both need it. We all need it. We learn better how to proclaim the word of God to others when we accept it humbly and gratefully from others. Um, and there are people in our lives, if you're like me, that have taught you lessons about this. And I just remembered this morning, honestly, about... Um, a teacher that I had when I was in elementary school. I went to a, a small Baptist school, and it was extremely conservative, ultra-conservative. And to be perfectly honest, this woman's name was Mrs. Crosby. Her and her husband kind of ran the school. He was the principal, and she was a teacher. And uh, they ran the school we were in, and they were ultra-conservative. Probably, I wouldn't necessarily agree with every belief that they had if I knew them today. But I can remember one day, I was in elementary school, and part of our schoolwork was we had to memorize 12 to 15 passages of Scripture every month. I think I told you that. Well, as a seven, eight-year-old kid, I didn't want to do that. I mean, who does, right? Memorization is hard. Am I right? I mean, how many of you show a hand? No, we're not going to do that. Uh, it, it's a hard thing to do, and I didn't want to do it. I was doing good with my schoolwork. I was keeping up with everything, but I kept taking notes home about the fact that I would not memorize my scripture, and so I wasn't on grade level. I couldn't get my um, letter that I needed to have certain privileges, and finally the teachers came to me, and they told me I was going to have to stay in for recess until I got that taken care of. I went off. I was so mad and I felt so like it was just this, this unjust punishment that I was being given because what I heard from them was, you can never go out on recess again until you catch up on your scriptures. What they meant was, 
you're going to stay in first recess so that we can put someone with you who's going to help you learn your scriptures so that you can go out for lunch in the other recesses, but they never intended to keep me in for all of them. And I was convinced I was staying in for the re- I was in jail until Jesus returns. That's how I thought about it. And I started whining and complaining. I said, I'm just quitting this school. I'm going to tell my parents. And, and the teacher came in, Mrs. Crosby came in, and she saw me in my desk. We had cubicles. We had little cubicles that we did our work in because we didn't have a teacher up front. We just had packets that we read and answered the questions. So we had sides on our little desk, you know, that were about this high. And I'm sitting there huddled in my cubicle. And she came over, I think, to help me learn my scriptures so that I could go to recess. And I'm bawling my eyes out. Because when I got mad as a kid, I would always cry. Isn't that annoying? It's really hard to be a tough guy when you, get, when you bawl every time you, you get mad. It's just not, not cool at all. I'm sitting there just bawling my eyes. And she said, Jeffrey, what's wrong? And I said, it's so unfair. They're going to keep me for recess forever. I'm never coming back to this school. I'm going to go home and tell my parents I don't ever want to come back to this school. And I gave her what for, man. I let it all out. I don't think I cussed. I don't think I knew any cuss words yet. Uh... But I gave her what for, man, and I was bad-mouthing the school, and I was bad-mouthing, and I, you teachers don't care about me, and blah, blah, blah. And I was very disgusted because I thought for sure it was the most unfair thing that had ever been done to a child ever. And I'll never forget the way she handled me. I don't have a problem with saying she handled me, because she did. I remember her crouching down beside my desk on one knee because I was at a table that was lower than normal. She crouched on one knee and kind of got inside the divider with me, and she put her hand on my back and patted my back and said, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. (laughs) And she just kept quietly and calmly saying it. And she finally said, listen, you don't have to stay in every recess forever. Why why would you say, I'm never coming back here? Don't you like the school? I like the school, but you're going to make me stay in forever. We're not going to make you stay in forever. And slowly but surely, she just calmly and lovingly unpacked everything that was happening and what I needed to do. And finally, by the time it was all done, I finally stopped crying and sniffling, which was embarrassing as all get out because other kids could hear me. And she helped me wipe my face off. And she said, listen, I was supposed to work with you with your scriptures. There's five minutes left to recess. Do you want to run outside real quick and just walk around a little bit and get your... Yes. (laughs) And she just made it okay. Years later, I'm pastoring pastoring the Cornerstone Church of God, and somebody did something that just frosted me. While I was preaching, the guy was in the narthex campaigning that they needed a new pastor because I was this and I was that and I was that and there was this. And the thing that made me angry, I knew the guy was talking about me behind my back. It was kind of his thing. You know, everybody has their thing. But he did it during church, during God's time. Some poor guy walks out to go to the bathroom and gets an earful about how terrible the church is and how they need to fire the pastor and all this stuff. And that guy who was new to the church came and said, what the heck's going on here? Is everything falling apart? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and I was so mad. You ever been so mad you just wanted to punch somebody in the face? Be honest. It's, you know, they say enough to make a preacher cuss. I'm not tempted to cuss. I'm tempted to punch. Now you know my sin, confessing. I was so mad. I talked to three different leaders of the church, the state, the, the um, regional. I said, what do I do about this guy? I don't know what to do with this guy. What do I do? They all told me the same thing. They said, if he did that kind of thing, you have every right 
to, to take the elders with you, confront him, and ask him to leave the church. That's what they told me. It didn't sit right with me. And finally, I remembered a time in my life where I was so mad at everybody that I just wanted to destroy the world. Wanted to burn it all down. Sitting there next to Mrs. Crosby. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I got to talk to him. But I need to wait until I can do it as calmly (laughs) and as lovingly as, as Mrs. Crosby did. It took me two weeks to back down the anger that I felt. But I finally was able to sit across from that man and say to him gently, I won't say his name, but say to him gently, I want you to tell me everything that you're upset about. You love this church. I know you do. I love this church. You need to tell me everything that that you hate about me, everything you hate about what I'm doing. I want to hear it all. I don't know what you're talking. Yes, you do. I have witnesses, and I'm not here to get in a shouting match. That That doesn't help the church, and it doesn't help the kingdom, and it doesn't help me, or it doesn't help you. So we sat and we had a conversation as calmly as I could. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Underneath the desk, I was kicking stuff. But, but I was able to do it. And the only way I was able to do it is just to keep telling myself, until you can talk to him like Mr. Cro- Mrs. Crosby talked to you, until you can talk to him like Mrs. Crosby talked to you. And I just kept saying that over and over again. And something that happened to me as a little kid helped me redeem a relationship. That guy was never what I would call a huge supporter. But before I left that church five years later, I heard him apologize to somebody, which for him was huge. He just was one of those people that knew what he wanted and was going to talk until he got it. And we managed to get along, and we had success there. But it all became because somebody was willing to speak the truth to me, and thankfully, as a young kid, I... I was smart enough to listen. And because she taught me how to receive truth, I was able to deliver truth better. Do you get what I'm saying? This isn't about my successes. It's about what we all need to start working on. Listen, if you have a difficult conversation that you need to have with someone, you need to remember the ways that people did it right when they had to confront you. And then you can use that experience to your advantage to know how to communicate in a way that is easier for people to hear and earn the right to be heard. The basis of our responsibility is that we all need help. We all need this, and so we give it to each other. One last thing. Um, In in our world today, we have a tendency to confuse a couple of things. We have a tendency to to confuse cruelty and compassion, and and this is one of Bonhoeffer's concepts. He says this. He says, um, nothing can be more cruel than tenderness that allows another to continue in sin. And nothing can be more compassionate than a rebuke that calls another back from the path of sin and destruction. Here's what that means in my mind as I thought about it. When our kids were young, our older three, we lived in Defiance, Ohio. I've already said that. But we had a house that had this really cool standalone wood-burning stove-like thing. And and it radiated heat. My wife loved it because I was a tightwad and would never turn the heat up above like 66 And she could load that sucker up with wood all day long and roast her tootsies to her heart's content. In fact, there were frequently days that I came home and I swear to you, the garage wall between the living room, the family room where she was, and the garage was glowing red. It was so hot. I'm kidding, obviously. But I would walk into the room and the heat would hit me and I'm like, 
What is the temperature in here? I don't know. I'd go over and look at the thermostat. It's 80 degrees in the house. She would boil that thing. And the kids, she wasn't the only one that loved that furnace. The kids loved it too. And you know what they wanted to do? Those of you that are parents know what they wanted to do. Touch it. They would just run at the thing with their hands out. I'm like, are you kidding me? I thought I had smart children. And so we bought one of those little round pens that you can get for kids. They call them something else, but they're a round pen. Let's be honest, a horse term, round pen. Anyway, I bought one of those. We took half of it and we cordoned off that thing. And man, the first time we put that thing up, you'd have thought we ended their lives. They were standing at that thing, shaking that gate. We were so cruel and mean because we would not let them touch that furnace. How many of you think that's cruelty? No. What is it? It's compassion. Why? Because they're going to hurt themselves if you don't set a boundary. You see, in in our culture today, there's some lies floating around. And one of those lies is that if we just allow our children, for instance, to just do whatever they want to, that eventually they'll blossom into these wonderful, gracious people. And anybody who's had more than one two-year-old at a time knows that's not true. They will kill each other if they can. They'll try anyway. There needs to be a sense of boundaries. There needs to be some guidance. Now, I'm not saying that, that we have to, you know, have all these rules and regulations like I did when I grew up. I have become the kind of parent that wants to say yes every time that I possibly can. Because I believe we should give kids opportunity. And I found myself just saying no because it was easier for me sometimes. And that's not right either. But there has to be some boundaries somewhere. And if we don't set boundaries, that is not compassion even though it feels like it in the moment. That's actually cruelty because we're letting them go off on the wrong path. Hudson, when he first started coming to our house, loved the stairway. And we have a very dangerous stairway because dad took all the carpet off the stairs and it's still just straight wood. One of these days, I'm going to figure out what to do with that stairway. But it's dangerous right now. And when he started moving around, hi buddy, when he started moving around, you know, we figured out real quick, we got to have a baby gate at that stairs or he's going to hurt himself. And so, so we got a baby gate. It's kind of a cloth one. Really cool. They didn't have these when I was a kid. They just had the plastic ones. And we set that sucker up. And you know what he did? Same thing. He got up to that thing and realized he couldn't go any further. And he stood up and he's shaking it and he's screaming bloody murder. And he wants to go down those stairs. And in the moment, I'm like, that little boy's heart is breaking. I should just let him go. And then common sense kicked in and went, nope. Because that's, that's how he'll go down. You see, with children, we understand this concept perfectly. But when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ, not so much. You see, the issue is this. Sometimes we think that it's compassionate just to look the other way when we see one of our brothers or sisters in Christ going down a path that is going to lead them to destruction or worse, eternal destruction. And instead of saying, hey, I have a concern about that. Do you know what the Bible says about that? Let me help you because I love you and because I want what's best for you. You need to take, you need to think twice here before you do this. This is going to lead you to a place I guarantee you don't want to go. Quite possibly because I've been to that place myself sometimes. Oftentimes we think, oh, that would be too cruel. I don't want to say that. No, cruelty would be not saying anything. Compassion steps in. 
and stops a person from going down the path that leads to construction. Now again, we don't have any right to make anybody do anything, but we certainly have a responsibility to, to declare with love in our voices when someone is wandering down the wrong path or headed in the wrong direction or making choices that we know are not God's choices. And so what I'm saying to you, my friends, is this. As we proclaim the truth of the word of God to each other, as we allow the truth of God to stand in the space between us and and judge us and judge them and encourage us and encourage them, we allow God's word to become the living thing that is between us. And hopefully we can get to a point where when someone corrects me, I don't see it as them that's correcting me. I see it as the truth of God that is correcting me. And hopefully we can learn to do that because we have listened to each other. We've been meek. We have heard each other. We've been holding our tongues. We've been doing all of these other things that will help us to build real Christian community before that time happens. Friends, I believe that if we could learn to allow God's truth to exist in the space between us and freely share it back and forth, that we will find real Christian community like we've never experienced before. And compassion will save those who are headed down the wrong path. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for again allowing us to hear words, both from your word and from another writer that speak truth. At least the truth resonates with me, God. I hope it does to those who are hearing the sound of my voice. There may be some that are here today that um, believe that there is a truth that maybe they need to speak to someone and And maybe they're ready because they have established relationship with that person and and there is a mutual respect and a love there. Maybe they need to take some time, as I had to, and and get to a place where they can share the truth with love because sharing it without love is always destructive. Father, whatever the case, I pray that you would give us the courage to step out in faith and to be willing to share the truth with each other and allow the truth of God's word to to exist in that space that is between us so that it will be the standard by which we judge our own lives and the lives of others. Father, Scripture teaches us that before we should judge anyone else, we should look at the plank in our own eye. In other words, we should make sure that 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 very sin isn't one that we're struggling with. But the Scripture does not say that there is no judgment. It simply says that we must first judge ourselves, that we need to be honest with ourselves. Help us to understand that it is the truth of God's Word that is the context in which we can allow judgment to be life-giving instead of division-making. Father, we pray for your truth to reign supreme in this church and in every church until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Just look at each other and say, that'll preach.